Our text this morning comes from Exodus chapter 4. Let's pray. Lord, as you spoke of old by, through the prophets and by signs and wonders, so now in the fullness of time you have spoken to us a final word through your Son, knowing now that by your Spirit you speak to us by your Son through your Word. And so speak to us now, we pray, that we may be comforted and that we may know better how to love and adore him. Amen. Exodus chapter 4, we'll hear verses 1 through 9. Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, Many of you have heard, no doubt, and it's become a, um, it's sort of a, a given thing in reform circles to talk about the signs that God gave, to ask the question, why did God give signs back then and not now? Why do we not see the same, same kind of signs and miracles in our time? What was the purpose of the signs and miracles that we read about in the Bible? And the typical, and, and the answer that we often hear, and especially in Reformed circles, Presbyterian circles, is that the signs were given to authenticate the messenger. That is to say, to prove that the message that the prophet was giving was, in fact, a message from God. So, authentication, proof. And that's certainly true, and I'm not going to argue with that, but I am going to say that that needs some clarification. Because the messages, I'm sorry, the signs by themselves communicated something. In addition to, in addition to credentialing, uh, giving authentication proof to the authority of the messenger, the divine authority for the messenger to speak on behalf of God, the messages, the signs rather, gave a message, and that message, that message changed according to who heard it. And that is the same truth for the Word of God, for the whole Bible. It is, it's, it's one set of words, and yet that message hits differently depending upon who is hearing it. And so, too, especially the signs that the Lord gave to Moses in our text this morning, that each sign the Lord gave 
had a particular message to the people who were to receive it. And so this morning, we'll see how those signs spoke differently and, spoke, and yet spoke with equal clarity to Moses, to Israel, and to Pharaoh. The signs prove the Lord's call to Moses. Uh, and so they first, and first they're given then as a way to address Moses' weak faith. We should set the table, I should set the table a little bit, that this is the encounter of Moses at the burning bush. You may have heard of this. Uh, and, and so that started at the beginning of Acts chapter, th- I'm sorry, Acts, uh, we're in Acts. Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. At the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush and gives him a call, his call to ministry, if you will. He's supposed to go and, on behalf of the Lord, deliver the people of Israel from their captivity in Egypt. And so the, the Lord has appeared to Moses, he's given him this sign, and yet Moses has a weak faith. He struggles to believe that this is going, actually going to happen the way that the Lord has commanded it. And, and, and notice his concern in verse 1, but behold, they, that is the people of Israel, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Now, to clarify, we're just jumping in in chapter 4, but just a few verses earlier in chapter 3, verse 18, the Lord said very clearly to Moses, and they will listen to your voice. Right? So that is part of the message. God said to Moses, they will listen to your voice. And yet Moses' almost immediate response is to say, they will say the Lord did not appear to you. He has a weak faith. He struggles to believe the Lord and to believe the Lord's calling upon him. And this is really remarkable because, again, Moses is standing in front of the burning bush. Now, if you've been a Christian for, like I said, 20 minutes, uh, you have had a conversation with another Christian Right, whereas somebody said, like, I'm trying to, I have a major life decision. I don't know what to do. Uh, should I join the army or go to college or, or, or become a house painter? What should I do with my life? Or should I marry this person or ask this girl to prom? Whatever. And really, it just gets people get more anxious. And then, then, then someone will say, if only the Lord would appear to me in a burning bush to make his will clear. Right? Okay. Moses is in front of the literal burning bush. Without exaggeration, I am not exaggerating in the slightest. It is the burning bush. And he says, they will say the Lord did not appear to you. After, we're like, one, two, three, four verses. After the Lord said, they will believe you. Why do people not believe God? Why do you not trust God? It is not because there is a lack of signs and miracles. So hush. Hush. Anybody who says, well, what we need to get people to believe are signs and miracles, or I'd only believe if there was a sign or miracle. No. Because here's Moses in front of, again, I'm not exaggerating, the literal 
burning bush, the burning bush, the only burning bush that there have ever been in which the presence of God is, in which, in which the bush is, appears to be on fire, but actually is not because a bush is not consumed. That bush, and he doesn't believe what God says, is a problem with faith. Because even though Moses is there in the presence, in the presence of the triune God, he looks to man. Right? Not literally, because there's no, no other people there, but he starts thinking about the people who are going to hear him. And so Moses's, excuse me, Moses's weak faith makes him doubt the Lord's calling. And so Moses will not speak alone. The Lord then tells him, the Lord then speaks to him, the Lord tells him to do signs. And he actually demonstrates those signs to him. In order that Moses' words might be persuasive, the Lord adds a testimony so that Moses is not going to speak alone. Now, some of you may have cheated and read ahead in your Bibles, and so you know that uh, in, in a few more verses, the Lord is going to appoint Moses' brother Aaron to go with him, but that's not what I'm talking about here. The signs themselves have a voice. They have a testimony. They have a message to give. And the Lord gives him three signs that he can then display. And there will be more signs later on, but these are the three that he gives now in order for Moses to understand. Two are demonstrated. The third is not. And of course, the two that are demonstrated, he throws down his staff. It turns into a snake. He picks up the snake by the tail, and it turns back into his staff, the staff that he's carrying as a shepherd uh, that, that all shepherds apparently carry. And then he says, at least back in those days they did, and then the other one is that he puts his hand inside his cloak, and it, it was, he was a shepherd, so it was a, it's a Carhartt. Um, he puts his hand in there, and he pulls it out, and it's turned white as snow. It's, it's leprosy. Is it actually leprosy? And this is, again, if you're a good Bible reader, then you'll notice there's a footnote, which is in like every single translation of the Bible, every time the word leprosy appears. It may not actually have been leprosy, but it's a skin disease. But anyway, his hand is white, which is, it doesn't matter what disease it was, that's crazy, and he puts it in, it's leprous, and he puts it back in and pulls it out again, and it's healed. Those are the two signs that are demonstrated in a third sign, which we'll get to in a moment, but the sign that he describes of the water of the Nile turning into blood. These have an additional voice they are a testimony in and of themselves. They give a message. And what they tell Moses as he's doing these things, right? He's the one who's doing them. It's, it's literally his staff, his actual staff. The stick he carries around all the time to shepherd the sheep, to, to whack them if they get out of line, and to, and to just help them, help them walk on, this, on, on unstable mountain trails. It's that staff that turns into a snake. And like, I don't care what part of the country you're from. A snake is a freaky thing. Like, I've seen snakes. They are freaky. And your staff turns into a snake. That's going to freak you out. And yet, that, that happens. It's a staff, a staff that he's familiar with, and then he pick, but he picks it. It turns into a snake, and he picks it up. It's back again. That's a testimony to Moses, as is the same thing with his hand. And so Moses is shored up because he is not going to be speaking alone. That's his fear. It will be just his voice, and will they believe him? Will he have authority? Well, then the signs have a testimony. The signs have a voice that go along with him that will declare that, will declare that what Moses is saying is true. By themselves, these are not signs of deliverance. Uh, a staff turning into a snake 
as Pharaoh will say later, well, that's a nice trick. But, but it's not, it, by itself, it doesn't say anything in particular other than to underscore the truth of Moses' message. But so Moses is given confidence by the Lord to shore up, to build up his weak faith in what the Lord has called him to do. And so because of the sign's voice, Moses has increased confidence. And this is true for all of God's prophets. In this way, Moses is simply represents or is typical of all of God's prophets. The authority of all God's prophets rests on his mighty acts. The authority of all God's prophets rests on the mighty acts of God. And this is true throughout history. It is true for the prophets of the Old Covenant, uh, who Moses and Elijah and Elisha, and for the charismatic prophets of the New Testament and the apostles, and is true for the prophets of today. For the preachers, today's preachers are the prophets of the New Testament church. They declare the authoritative word of God. When we read the Bible and when we preach, we say, thus saith the Lord. And that is not an authority which rests upon charisma or charm or personality. It rests upon miracles. And not a miracle that I'm going to do. I'm not going to pour out the water in my water bottle. Sorry, I forgot the word. I'm not going to pour out the wa- this water and it's going to turn into blood. I'm not going to cast down my walking stick and it's going to turn into a snake or do something really cool with my jacket. I'm going to declare the mighty acts of God, which prove that what I say is true. You've heard, we've already heard this morning, that Jesus Christ In that passage from 1 Corinthians 15, which is one of the texts of Scripture which least needs preaching, which least needs anybody to explain it, that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and raised, and there are more witnesses than you can count to this fact. And this is true. And if this is true, if Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and raised on the third day, then He died for your sins. He died for your sins so that your sins might be removed once and for all. And He was raised that you might be declared just and righteous before the Lord, acquitted of all of your sins in the presence of God. But there is more. There is more that in Christ then, as the Apostle Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 15, that in His resurrection is the beginning of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted 
who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And skipping down to verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, In this mortal body, it must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now don't miss what the apostle says. The resurrection has begun. The resurrection has begun in Jesus Christ. We are in the midst of the resurrection. Therefore, the resurrection will be concluded on the last day. Christ is coming. It is a certainty because we are simply in the transitional period between the the beginning and the end of an act which has already begun. This, this is a miracle. This is the authentication of our message. This is the authentication of the message I declare to you today with full prophetic authority, that in Jesus Christ is forgiveness of sins, and in Jesus Christ is the resurrection from the dead. Therefore, in Him is eternal life. For the most wicked of people, there is everlasting life in Jesus Christ, and this message is true because it rests on an objective reality. Just as objective is that staff turning into a snake in front of Moses and Pharaoh and the Israelites, just as objective as the waters of the Nile turning into blood, just as objective as gravity itself, except probably more objective, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if I may, then, a particular word of application for those who have received ordination or who, if our Lord tarries, uh, will shortly receive ordination. The authority of the ordinand, which is one of those words that you get to use if you're a Presbyterian, it just means somebody who's receiving ordination. The authority of the person who's been ordained, whether it's a preacher, a a minister of word and sacrament, or a ruling elder or a deacon, whatever the office is, The authority and ability and equipment of the ordinant does not rest upon his personality or his individual strength or charisma or anything else. That authority and equipment ultimately rests upon an objective act of ordination, and that in ordination, the Spirit works to gift the person ordained. For it is Paul who writes to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you by the laying on of hands of the elders. There is an inworking of the Holy Spirit, which is objectively true. And even when the person who is ordained does not feel up to the task, it does not matter. Because the Spirit is in him. Full stop, it's in the Bible, I don't care what your faith is because it doesn't matter that Moses had a weak faith. 
because the Lord had called him and was sending him. And so what Moses had to say was true, and Moses had the authority, and he had the signs to back it up, even even as those who serve the Lord today have the signs which authenticate that our message and our work is true. This is the work of the prophets, is that prophets proclaim what the Lord has done and will do for you. And so signs confirm and demonstrate the prophetic, the prophet's message of deliverance. So as signs prove the Lord's call to Moses, then signs also prove the Lord's deliverance of Israel. Now, I don't like piling on people in the Bible, like, oh, you're a person in the Bible, bad person, bad faith, uh, weak faith, and then we all jump on him and feel smug about our own faith, because then I feel like that's, come on, you got to be kidding, because uh, <laughs> we don't have strong faith either. So, so Moses has a point. Moses has a point here when he says, they will not they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. It's a valid concern. It's a hypothetical concern. I mean, he's not gone there. He hasn't talked to these people yet. But it's a valid concern nonetheless, because Israel very well might have weak faith. Israel very well might say to Moses, the Lord has not appeared to you. It's been a long time. It's been a long time that they have been in bondage. Uh, they have been in, the, the, the descendants of Jacob, of Israel, have been in Egypt for centuries now. That's a really long time. And their oppression under the hand of the pharaohs and the Egyptian political structure has been going on for over 80 years. That's a long time to be crying out to the Lord and to not be delivered. And at that point you might start thinking, maybe God doesn't listen to us. You know, we've heard the stories, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how the Lord acted for them, and how the Lord delivered them, and how Jacob was weary with travel one day, and at night on a rock for a pillow he lay, and then he saw this ladder going up to the sky. Like, that's really cool, but we haven't seen anything like that in centuries. Um, So what relevance would that have for our circumstances today? What does that say to us? Is God actually going to come, or do we just have to sort of plug along and make the best of a really crummy situation? Faith can be weakened. People can have weak faith because they don't see their circumstances change. And so it is, Moses' concern is valid. How how are we going to make sure? Yeah, God, you said four verses ago, that they're going to believe me, but how do we make sure of this? How how do I know this is actually going to happen? And so the signs themselves are a message not only for Moses, but for Israel to renew their faith, that they might say in the words of verse 5, that the Lord has appeared to you. The God that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you, to Moses. Because these signs show God's power, and therefore they show that he is still Israel's deliverer. And here it's helpful to look forward to the end of chapter 4. 
at the end of chapter 4, Moses has gone to Egypt, and there, there's a lot that goes on, so, so I'm not going to tell you everything. But there's a lot that happens in chapter 4. It's an action-packed chapter, but at the very, very, very end, at the very, very end, he is there back in Egypt, and he's talking to the elders of Israel. And we read in, uh, and he's with his brother Aaron. He picked up Aaron along the way, because that's important for what I'm about to read. He says, and so then we read at the end of chapter 4, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And so as the Lord said, they will believe that the Lord, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. They will say, the Lord has appeared to you. But notice, notice what they do. They see the signs. They see the signs in, in verse 30. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They believed. But when did they worship? After they heard the message. It is the message of deliverance. It is a message of salvation. It is the good news that God will deliver His people that draws His people to worship. We do not worship a God who does miracles. We worship God who can do miracles. We worship God who has done miracles, but we do not worship a God because He has done or can do miracles. Because honestly, who cares? I don't need a miracle, and nobody in this room needs a miracle. Not a one of you. What you need is salvation from your sin. What you need is to be made right with God. What you need is to live the life that you were created to live, which is an eternal life, worshiping the Lord. That is what you need. That is the message of deliverance which Moses proclaimed. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And that is the purpose. That is the message, ultimately, of every sign, every miracle, every wonder that we find in Scripture. Every act the Lord has done points towards, pointed toward, and still points towards salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord's signs are not merely displays of power. Instead, they demonstrate the Lord's promise to deliver you. And so as signs prove the Lord's call to Moses, as signs prove the Lord's deliverance of His people, signs prove the Lord will judge. In particular, that the Lord will judge Pharaoh. If Moses and Israel had weak faith, uh, Pharaoh had no faith. And I think I may be underplaying it when I say he had no faith. Uh, the Lord said to Moses in chapter, in chapter 3, verse 19, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. The Lord, Pharaoh is not going to listen to the message from the Lord. Mo, Pharaoh hates the Lord. He has, it, but, and that's the problem, but, but, but you know, I'm doing, I can't say weak faith 
Moses' weak faith, Israel's weak faith, and then Pharaoh hated the Lord. It doesn't work, so I'd say no faith. That works better, but you know, you get the point. Um, you'll remember it now. He hates God. He is not going to believe. It doesn't matter. He's not going to confess his sins, and he's not going to repent on the basis of this message, on the basis of the signs or the message. And so the signs for Moses have an, I'm sorry, the signs for Pharaoh then have an entirely different purpose and will have an entirely different result. Same signs, but different result. Now the sign, the sign of the staff and the snake, the sign of the hand that is leprous and then is made clean again, those those, those are what they are. They, they are signs of, of wonder and power and, and so on and so forth. But the sign, this last sign, the third sign, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So now, we're going to look ahead a little bit. When does this actually happen? In later on, it's not, it doesn't appear that this is one of the signs that Moses did when he came to the Israelites. Rather, it was a sign that Moses did for Pharaoh, particularly directed to Pharaoh. And in Exodus chapter 7, he appears before Pharaoh. He's appeared before Pharaoh a number of times. Uh, but at this time, the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 7 verse 19, after, the, after Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, the first, the, first of his, the first of the plagues is actually the third sign. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals and their ponds and their, their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. We don't have to go to the Bible dictionaries to understand, or, or, or history books to understand, that in Egypt they were particularly dependent upon the Nile as a source of water. Even in Ohio, where even, yay, even this morning, the water fell from the sky uh, in a miraculous, strange way. Even here, right, if all the water turned to blood, it would not be good. It would stink. It would be horrible. And you would know, you would know, the Lord, the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that in them is, he is not happy. He is not happy. Indeed, he knows that these are people who hate him. And there is a message of death and blood. It was a sign. 
for Moses and Israel, the Lord was going to deliver them. That same sign was a sign of condemnation for the enemies of the Lord in Egypt. And that's why it's important, beloved, to understand that your hope is the wicked's fear. For 1 Corinthians 15, for many, I don't say for every Christian, but for many Christians, is a beloved, a joyful passage of Scripture. Death will be defeated once and for all. The resurrection will come. And we will rejoice. But I already read. I mean, I read the relevant verses. Verses 20 through 28. His return is the defeat of all of his enemies. Not just sin and death, but all those who hate the Lord. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, you will rejoice because your King has come. And the enemies of the Lord will tremble in fear because it is the arrival of their judge with a sword and the power to condemn once and for all. The sign of deliverance to Israel was a sign of warning to Egypt. And as we read through Exodus, one thing that we ought not miss is that some of the Egyptians received the sign as it ought to have been received. And they repented and believed, and they went out with Israel. Don't miss that, ever, when you read the book of Exodus. Because Pharaoh didn't get the message. His heart was hard. But when the Lord announces His judgment and wrath, for those who are outside of Christ, hear it for what it is that we are in the midst of the resurrection. It will be completed very soon. And on that day, those who are in Christ will celebrate singing 1 Corinthians 15. And those who are outside of Christ, those who are His enemies, will know His judgment forever. And for those who are outside of Christ this morning, if you hear me, then hear. The time is now. Repent, turn from your sins, and believe. Because the Lord, our God, is merciful. The Lord, our God, loves this world so much that He came and died for the sake of sinners. He became one of us and died so that his enemies might become his children. This is a God whom we serve. Enemies, those, whom he, those who hate him, those who hate our God, who conspire against him and against his people, he died to save those people. And if you are one of those people, then turn turn and look to Him and be saved. Because for those who hate God, the deliverance of the Lord's people is a promise of destruction. You see, the Lord's signs have proven that our message is true. He has come. 
He has lived amongst us. He was crucified on your behalf. He was buried and brought out of the grave on the third day. What we say is true. The prophetic message, which I declare as merely one of, one of the prophets of the present era, one of the preachers of the present day, one of the officers of the church of Jesus Christ is true, and it has been authenticated. God gave signs of old to prove that this is all true, that in Jesus Christ is everlasting salvation. And beloved, beloved, rejoice. For if you hear these things and believe, that know that the Lord's intentions towards you with his signs have been to save you, that you might be his beloved child for all eternity. Therefore, beloved, believe. Believe because of what the Lord has done for you. Amen. Our Lord, we give you thanks for your great mercies to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We give you thanks that in the fullness of time, every one of your signs was completed and came to pass, and that now we live in the time of the last great sign when all things will be brought about. And so, our Lord, we pray that you would hasten the day but we pray that as long as you tarry, as long as you delay your return, that now you would bring many more to repentance, that we may together with them rejoice at the last sign of the last day and declare your defeat of death, your victory over the grave, and rejoice to have everlasting life with Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, world without end. Amen.